Hey, and thanks for tuning in to the Father's House podcast. The Father's House exists to see people discover life in Jesus. We hope that today's message brings you fresh life and renewed hope as you listen. Enjoy. Good morning to you. Five, four, oh, I'm here. Thank you, Miguel. Give it up for our incredible sound man back there. You don't appreciate him until you realize the mics don't turn on without him. Come on, welcome to church this morning. Can we also just give it up for our band this morning? That drummer. That drummer. No, but also, Ronnie, where are you at? Ronnie, where are you at? Where'd he go? Oh, there he is. Dude, it's fun to hear your voice. That's all I gotta say. I love our team and I love, I love our entire band, but it's fun to hear the difference between all of our worship leaders and how different they are and the sound that God has given them. So happy you're a part of the team. Hey, can you put up that um, countdown clock for me? Because I'm a woman and I enjoy talking and I will do it longer than I need to if you don't do that. Well, I am Robin. I'm one of the pastors here. If I haven't gotten to met, meet you yet, um, welcome to church this morning. If you're wondering, where's Pastor Tim? Well, he wanted to drum really badly this morning. So I was like, I'll do it. I'll talk. You can just play on the drum set, pretend you're a rock star again. So he enjoyed that. Isn't that fun, right? Don't you think he should do that every once in a while? I think so. Well, this morning, uh, did, did all of you enjoy your 4th of July week? Yes? Did you have a good one? Did anybody get the privilege like I did, uh, seeing the fog light up? It was beautiful. It was pretty apocalyptic. I got a little bit nervous there for a little bit. Like, what's going on? This looks strange. The kids were like, Mom. And then it was great. And we saw a few fireworks that accidentally went off too low. And we're like, Woo, there it is, kids. Now let's go to the car. It's freezing. So I hope you enjoyed your 4th of July. We want to keep the party going and celebration going this morning. So we actually have um, a fun hot dog bar out on the porch after church this morning. We got some bottled Coke. I, I know hot dogs are really healthy, so... Um, but these ones are calorie free, so it's gonna be fine. It's gonna be fine. Actually, we found out this week, we were watching the news, and did you know that there is a national hot dog eating contest every 4th of July? Did you know that? Yeah, I know, fun fact. Go America. We're gonna eat as many hot dogs as we can. The winner actually was from San Jose. His name's Joey Chestnut. Guess how many hot dogs he ate? I showed some of you the article, cheaters. 71 hot dogs in 10 minutes. Didn't I make hot dogs sound so appetizing this morning? Don't worry, we have extra in case you want to try and break the world record. It'll be amazing. Well, we're in a series that we are calling Beyond Basic, and we've been in this series for a few weeks, and this series comes out of Hebrews chapter 6, where the writer is encouraging his audience. He's saying, hey, I don't want you to stay in just the basic things, but I want you to move on into a maturity in Christ. I don't want you to just keep circling back to the same old things, but God's desire for us as believers is that we would go from faith to faith and glory to glory, that we would move on from where we're at right now into greater things of where God wants us. So that's what we're preaching through this morning. And actually, we're going to open it up and read through 
through that portion of scripture. If you don't have your Bible this morning, I got a big Bible on the screen that you can follow along with. We're going to look at Hebrews chapter, chapter 6, verses 1 through 3. It says, so let us stop going over the basic teachings about Christ again and again. Let us go on instead to become mature in our understanding. Surely we don't need to start again with the fundamental importance of repenting from evil deeds and placing our faith in God. You don't need further instruction about baptism, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And so, God willing, we will move forward into further understanding. Now, the first week, Tim opened up this series talking about redeeming our repentance, what it truly looks like to turn away from our old life and turn towards Jesus. Last week, he preached about baptism. Come on, if you were in the room, come on, it was fun to see the things that maybe we had religious mindsets or tradition that was how we viewed baptism, but he showed us the, the biblical mandate for baptism, what it truly means, that when you go down, and come on, can we just celebrate with the Genesis? Eve and Amber who made that decision. Woo! Come on, the power that happens when we go down, the old man dies and the new man comes up out of the water. If you weren't here for either of those uh, sermons, I invite you guys to go onto our app or our website and check those out because I don't want you to miss anything that God is saying in the midst of this. And so many people made the same decision to say, I'm gonna get baptized. So I am very excited to celebrate with those of you that are gonna get baptized in the weeks to come, including my eight-year-old daughter who... I even say it, and I'm like, you want to get baptized? We wrote out her testimony this week, and it's not very long considering she's eight, and she only, you know, it's only been a few things that she's truly had to repent for in her little life, but come on, I'm so excited to celebrate with her and celebrate with the rest of you that are getting water baptized. Well, today, we're going to move on, and the topic for, the, for today's sermon, we're going to talk about faith in God according to Hebrews chapter 6. So, Will you guys pray with me this morning as we dive in? Jesus, thank you so much for your grace. Thank you for even um, the fact that we can come and so freely meet with you in this space. God, we don't take that for granted this morning, and we pray that our hearts will be open as you continue to speak to us throughout this series. We also pray that um, no one will get too many hot dogs in their system and that no one will gain 24 pounds like our dear hot dog winner um, gained after this week in Jesus' name. Amen. He actually gained 24 pounds. Isn't that crazy? Well, last time. So probably somewhere around that. I'm not prophesying. He did it. He did it before. Anyway, we're going to talk about faith this morning, not hot dogs. Just keep going back to that. We're going to celebrate afterwards with that. Well, we're talking about faith this morning, and faith is a word that we use, but it can be ambiguous in nature. Yet faith is one of the core tenets of Christianity. So this morning, I want to define faith for us according to Hebrews chapter 6. So faith towards God means this, means to believe and to trust in the one true God as opposed to the systems of this world. Hebrews chapter 6 talks about faith, and the same faith that is talked of in Hebrews chapter 11, which states this, faith is confidence of what we hope for. Faith is an assurance of what we can't see. See, as Christians, faith says, I can't see Jesus, but I've put my trust in him. And by this definition, faith sounds concrete. 
When you define it, use the words like confidence and assurance. It's used in this way that sounds like it's been firmly established. It's not something that needs to be established over and over and over again. And this morning, I make the assumption that most of you are here at church because you've already put your faith in God. Raise your hand if you put your faith in God. Come on, don't be ashamed of the gospel. Don't be ashamed, especially in church. Yeah, most of you are here because you've already put your faith in God. And those of you who haven't, there is no condemnation. We are so happy that you're in this room, whatever part of the faith journey that you're on this morning. Now, the writer of Hebrews understands that his audience that he's writing to, most of them have already done the same thing, that they've already put their faith in God. He knew who he was writing to. Why then, in Hebrews chapter 6, would he accuse us of having to go over this teaching about faith over and over again? I think it's because there's two categories to faith. There's two different aspects, if you will, of faith. And for the sake of the sermon this morning, this is our working title, so if you're taking notes, you can write this down. The two categories are saving faith and sustaining faith. When, according to saving faith, just a reminder that Ephesians chapter 2 is correct when it says, when you decide to follow Jesus, that you are saved by faith. By faith and faith alone. Not by any works, not by anything that you could do, but you're saved by your faith that you put in Jesus. But let's just unpack that thought for a moment. The thought of this saving faith. And let me make this suggestion to you, that if you placed your trust in Jesus, that you have already exercised the greatest act of faith. You've already exercised the greatest act of faith by putting your faith in Jesus. Think about that for a moment. Think about how much faith it takes for salvation. When you say yes to Jesus, You take your whole life and you put it in the hands of a man that most of the world would say never existed. Or if he does exist, that he was just a nice guy who did nice things for people that happened to operate in telepathy. This guy who, what? He he never had a bad thought? Are you kidding? He never did anything to hurt anyone or harm anyone or do anything to sin? No, that's unbelievable. He maybe was just like nice to people and he happened to turn some water into an alcoholic beverage, this individual. This man who you've put your hope and trust in, oh, now he took his life and he sacrificed it for you. Some buddy he didn't know existed yet, thousands of years before you were born. And now he's seated at the right hand of the father, interceding for you on your behalf. And he's not going to stay there, but, oh, he's actually coming one day. He's not just moseying in. He's coming in a cloud on a white horse with eyes of flames of fire and a tattoo on his thigh. Like when you step back, it takes an enormous amount of faith to believe that. Am I right? 
If you step back and you, you think that through, it takes an enormous amount of faith to believe that, to believe in salvation. And I would argue the, this morning that it takes more faith to believe in that Jesus and that saving faith than it does for anything that you walk through in this life, for anything that you would face in this life. It takes more faith to believe in that salvation than it does to have a type of faith to walk through anything you could potentially experience in this life. But I don't think that's the kind of faith that the Hebrew writer was talking about. I don't think he was talking about saving faith. I think that most of us would understand this morning if we've put our faith in Jesus that our eternity is spoken for. Amen? Come on. That we don't have to keep getting saved over and over again and put, keep putting our salvation in this man Jesus over and over again like the sweet junior high kid at the youth group who responds to every single altar call. Come on. I don't think that's what the Hebrew was, writer was talking about. Instead, I think he was referring to what I would call sustaining faith. What is sustaining faith? It's the faith that's required to walk through every single one of life's situations after salvation. And I think the reason he criticizes their faith is because when compared to saving faith, sustaining faith should look like a walk in the park. See, for these Jewish believers that the author is speaking to, he says, you have enough faith to believe for your salvation but you're worried about where your next meal's coming from? You have enough faith to believe in this man who died for you and that he's coming back for you one day, but you're worried about your kids and you're worried about the attack of the Roman Empire? And I don't think that's a problem that the Jewish believers that he was speaking to at the time dealt with, that it was unique to them. I think that's the same thing that we experience today, church that I've got enough faith for him to save me, but I'm having a hard time believing he can sustain me. Why is it that we have no problem trusting God for our salvation and that our eternity is secure, but we have a hard time trusting him when that unexpected bill comes in the mail? That baby that we've been praying for hasn't come yet. When that child that walked away from God that we're waiting on, why do we have a harder time believing for those things when we know that he saved me and my eternity is secure? I think the answer is in the very definition of faith. It's being confident in what we don't see. Far too often we draw our confidence for the things that we do see, which apart from Christianity kind of makes logical sense, right? It's easier for me to put my hope and my confidence in something that I can see in front of me as opposed to something that's invisible. The, see, the reason I think we're accused of not having the right kind of faith is because we've seen too much. We've seen the realities of this life. Well, Jesus, I can trust you for my salvation and I can believe you for that but I'm having a hard time believing you for the difficult situation I'm facing right now. I can believe you for coming back for me and that my eternity is secure, but I'm having a hard time with the stuff that's right in front of me and the things that I'm coming up against. As I'm walking through this season where my kids are far from God, I'm having trouble trusting you with that, Jesus. 
As the bills are piling up and the funds aren't coming in, I'm having a hard time trusting you for that, Jesus. And the worry is mounting. I'm having a hard time trusting you for that, Jesus. Ultimately, without realizing it, we've contradicted the very definition of faith because we've seen too much. We've been through too much. Now this morning, if you find yourself in that place, you can relate to that. Well, then welcome to the team. <laughs> this, is great, this is humanity's greatest struggle. The same faith that saved you to walk through life and say that's the same faith that will sustain me. If there's any area of unbelief in your life this morning, if you say, I believe Jesus for my eternity, but I'm having a hard time believing him for fill in the blank, then I think we can all say that we're in that same scenario at some point in our life together. And I don't want you to worry this morning like, Okay, so it doesn't sound so encouraging. Your unbelief doesn't scare Jesus. And it also doesn't disqualify you from his sustaining grace. See, this morning, I want us to look at a story out of the book of Mark, chapter 9. You can turn there right now. And I want us to look at a couple of thoughts that I believe that can help us break the cycle of unbelief and build up the sustaining faith in our lives. Amen? Come on. So before we dive into this text, I'll set up the scene for you. Jesus is with three of his disciples and he takes them on a hike in Mark chapter 9. It's actually a pretty glorious hike. You should read about it sometime. But since he only took three of the disciples, the other nine disciples were ministering uh, below the mountain. And when Jesus and his disciples walk up on this scene, they come to a crowd of people that's disruptive. And they're like, what's going on? So in this crowd that they approach with the disciples are a group of religious leaders and a very confused father, a demon-possessed boy, and then a bunch of spectators. So they come up on the scene and we'll pick it up in verse 16. And when Jesus approaches, he asks this question. He says, what's all the arguing about? Jesus asked. One of the men in the crowd spoke up and said, teacher, I brought my son to you so you could heal him. He's possessed by an evil spirit and, won't let, and it won't let him talk. And whenever the spirit seizes him, it throws him violently to the ground. Then he foams at the mouth and he grinds his teeth and he becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast out the evil spirit, but they couldn't do it. Jesus said to them, you faithless people, how long must I be with you? How long must I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought the boy. But when the evil spirit saw Jesus, it threw the child into a violent convulsion and he fell to the ground, withering and foaming at the mouth yet again. How long has this been happening? Jesus asked the boy's father. He replied, since he was a little boy, the spirit often throws him into the fire, into the water, trying to kill him. Have mercy on us and help us if you can. What do you mean, if I can? Jesus asked. Anything is possible if a person believes. The father instantly cried out, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. When Jesus saw the crowd of onlookers was growing, he rebuked the evil spirit as Jesus does. Come on. 
Listen, you spirit that makes this boy unable to hear and speak. I, he said, I command you to come out of this child and never enter him again. Then the spirit screamed through the boy into another violent convulsion. He appeared dead and people started freaking out. But then Jesus took him by the hand and helped him up to his feet and he stood up. Afterwards, when Jesus was alone with his disciples, they asked him, hey, why couldn't we cast out that evil spirit? Doesn't this seem like the, the most intense situation? Just imagine yourself here. Why couldn't we do that? And Jesus replied, this kind can be cast out only by prayer and fasting. Now, I know that's an intense story, and you're like, so we talking about demons today, huh? <laughs> Don't worry, even though it's in the Bible, so we should talk about it at some point. But I love this story, not necessarily because what happened to the boy. I love this story because the father says something that I think all of us as believers have echoed in our hearts at some point in our lives. Jesus, I believe. I believe in you. But I've also got some unbelief. Jesus, can you help me in my unbelief? Now, there's a lot to unpack in this story, but for the sake of time and for the sake of this message on faith, we're going to look at two aspects of the story. The first is how Jesus responds to the Father, and the second is how Jesus responds to the disciples. And we're just going to go right out the bat, and I'm going to give you the first point. You ready for this this morning if you're taking notes? Number one is run to him first. Run to him first. So Jesus asks the father in verse 21, he says, how long has this been happening? How long has this been going on? This poor child that's been taken to the ground by this spirit that's indwelled him. How long has this been going on? And the father answers, a long time. Don't you love it when the Bible's like not crazy clear? You're like, okay, long time. So like hours. If you do some research, they don't, still don't know exactly how long, but they say that it was most likely from infancy. So this little boy had been experienced this from probably the last six months or a number of years. We don't know. But we know that it had been a long time. Now I find it interesting that Jesus asks this detail because I love reading the Gospels and I love reading the accounts of when Jesus heals the sick or, you know, delivers the demonic possession inside of someone. And I love reading that. But I've never read before where Jesus, before he heals someone, asks them, how long has this been going on? And this stood out to me. And I think it stood out because Jesus wants to show us something in this. He wants us to step back and see. And if we look at this, Father, I just imagine this scenario you know, when you have your baby and your baby's born, you're like, this is the sweetest, precious baby. Could you imagine all of a sudden that child starts seizing, foaming at the mouth, and a demonic thing takes place in your sweet, precious child? And as a parent, what do you do when it's your first kid? You probably ask the people around you like, hey, has this ever happened to you before? Like you ask your sister who had a baby before you for advice. You call the neighbor like, do you know what we should do here? So I'm sure this father and the mother went to people and said, hey, what should we do? And when they were like, yeah, that didn't happen to us. I'm not sure. The next logical thing was for that father to take his child to the local physician to say, do, could you work this out? Do you know what's going on? And when that doesn't happen, 
probably took the child to one of the religious leaders because at that time they would have a, a tradition of a method of how they would exercise a demon. But then that didn't work. So the father found himself taking this boy to the disciples. But I've got to ask, why didn't the father go to Jesus first? And you're like, Robin, Jesus wasn't around yet. That's why, duh. But actually, in fact, Jesus had been ministering for a while now. This didn't happen at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. In fact, Jesus had been ministering around this area. It says he'd been around the Sea of Galilee for some time now. And when he delivered this boy, it was actually more towards the end of his time around there. So I got to think to myself, when a healer shows up on the scene, even if he's miles away, that word spreads fast. So I wonder, why didn't the father take the boy to Jesus first? Why did he go to all the other places first? And I think maybe, just maybe, we find the answer in because of his unbelief. Because, oh, that sounds too good to be true. That doesn't sound like something that might work. And I think we can relate to that scenario today. When we come up against a difficult situation, we have this opportunity of, can I trust Jesus with this? Like, can Jesus handle this? Come on, when the bills start piling up and the funds aren't coming in, when the child that you've been waiting for, somehow we start kind of looking at every other option, like what else could I do? Where can I find this answer? Can I find it out here? Can I find it over here? How can I mend this situation? Come on, when that sickness comes up, I ask us this morning, when that happens, do you run to Jesus first? When you're facing that difficult situation or do you run to other things before you run to Jesus? Come on, difficult situation pops up in your life. What's your first thought to do? Uh, I'm going to run to my girlfriends because I need to complain for a minute. And I also need to cry on someone's shoulder. So I'm going to run to her first. And oh, this like thing that's been going on in my body. Ooh, WebMD, WebMD. No, Pinterest. All right, healing miracle method. Okay, acupuncture and doTERRA oils. Got it. Let's do this. Or sometimes things that look holy. Hey, pastor, can, can you help me figure this out? I'm dealing with this difficult situation. And I know you have the answer because like, you're supposed to be super godly and like know the word front to back. So what should I do? Or small group leader. Come on, this is what's happening in my world. Help me fix this. Or you know what? Ooh, they have those prayer cards online. All right. Intercessors, you're going to take care of this. Boom. Now, all of those methods are good, but did you run to Jesus first? Did you run to Jesus first with the problem? Say, Jesus, Jesus, you take this. I've trusted you with my salvation. I think I can trust you with this. I think you can handle this. All those other methods, I believe in all those other methods. I believe in seeking wise counsel. I believe in the intercessors praying with you. I even believe in doTERRA oils. But did you run to Jesus first? Come on, when we run to Jesus first, something happens inside of us that says, 
You're gonna bring answers, I don't know how. Maybe that's gonna be some of these outside methods that help me, but I run to you first. I trust you first. Jesus, if I can trust you with my salvation, I can trust you with this problem. I can trust you with this thing that seems unbelievable to face. And something happens inside of us. Doubt and unbelief start to get pushed out when we run to him first. Because when the truth speaks, unbelief has to go. Did you run to him first? Number two, what Jesus says to the disciples. The second thing that I think we can learn from this story is when Jesus addresses the disciples. When dealing with unbelief, he says, afterward, when he was alone with them, they were like, Jesus, why couldn't we cast out this evil spirit? And he replied, this spirit can only be cast out by prayer and fasting. Number two is this, and write this down. Unbelief ceases when prayer and fasting increases. I don't believe that Jesus was just talking about demon possession here when he was telling the disciples to fast and to pray. And I don't believe that fasting is like some old world thing that maybe they just did in the Old Testament or something that Jesus' disciples just did. I believe that Fasting is something that all of Jesus' disciples should do, even today. There is something about fasting that breaks unbelief in our life. And although it seems like a strange concept, it's one of the most underutilized tools in the body of Christ right now. Come on, there is nothing like fasting. And Jesus said it himself in Matthew 6, 16. He said, when you fast. It wasn't a commandment like you should fast. Jesus assumed that you were going to fast. Jesus was like, hey, I know following me is not going to be a walk in the park. And fasting is something that's going to keep you close to me and is going to keep your unbelief at bay and your belief in me. That's why Jesus told his disciples that. They'd been ministering for a while. He'd commissioned them to go out. And Jesus knew that the disciples needed to fast so that they could remind themselves that it wasn't in their own strength. That it wasn't them who could cast out the demon. That it wasn't them who could heal the sick person. Fasting keeps us in a state where we realize, God, you're big and I'm small. Fasting breaks us open to our humanity in that we're weak without God. And I don't know about you, but walking through this journey of faith, the longer I walk through it, the more I understand that unbelief tries to seep in, that my sustaining faith starts to wane. And, you know, you think it's going to be the opposite, right? The longer I'm a believer, the easier it's going to be. Not, life gets you jaded sometimes. Come on, I've prayed for people and I haven't seen them recover before. Come on, I've believed God for breakthrough in an area and it hasn't come. And sometimes life just makes me feel jaded and I notice that my sustaining faith starts to wane. And it might make you kind of nervous. Like, well, you're supposed to be one of the pastors leading this thing. Not sure this is so good. You should be confessing this here. Not sure you should be preaching about sustaining faith. The reason I can preach about it is because 
I've used a tool like fasting to get me to the other side of that. Come on. I don't fast because I'm holy. I fast because it keeps me near the one that is holy. And fasting does this thing in us that causes our eyes to no longer be on our problem, onto the things of life, onto the things that's in front of us. And it breaks us open to say, whoa, you literally are the only hope. Jesus, you're the only one. Fasting does this thing that empties us out inside when we try and operate in the flesh and we start to get our spirit more in tune to say, I can hear you a little better. I can can believe for this a little more. Fasting is one of the greatest tools that will break unbelief in our lives. And I think that's why Jesus told his disciples to do it and he tells us to do the same. Come on. Are you having a hard time believing Jesus for some stuff in your life? Has your faith only saved you, but it's having a hard time sustaining you? Fast. And you're like, okay, okay, but what what exactly is fasting? Fasting means that you're not going to eat food for a little while. Simple as that. I've heard people say before, like, well, I'm fasting media. I'm not going to go on social media or watch any TV. Unless you eat your TV or your phone regularly... Is actually not a fast. But I would say when you're fasting, like throw those things to the side so they don't distract you. I just want to give you a couple of practical tips in this because I believe that there's some people in the room that you're walking through a season where you need breakthrough. And I think that this is a tool and a key for you to walk on the other side of that. So know your season, know your body type. Are you pregnant? Or do you do manual labor? Just do it. Just make a decision. I'm going to make fasting a regular practice in my life. You know, I don't fast just when I meet difficult situations. I fast because I know I'm going to meet difficult situations. I know that there's going to be opportunities that unbelief will try and get in. And I fast so that I can prepare myself for that. Do it privately. Unless we call a corporate fast, do it on your own. Don't be like, "Uh, look at me, I'm so weak. I haven't eaten two meals today. I've... Look at my my jeans. Look at how much room there are. I'm losing so much weight from. Do it privately. The Bible says, wash your face, throw on some makeup. Don't let people know you're doing it. Let it be a thing between you and Jesus. The last thing I want to give you guys some resources because although I'm using this topic, I'm not preaching completely on fasting. So. You can um, check this out. Pastor Dave Patterson, he's our pastor. He's written a simple guide. It's a PDF that you can download and give you some simple tools to how to get started on fasting. If you want to dive a little deeper, that's a great book to read. Come on. I believe this morning that if we take these two principles that we run to Jesus first, if maybe you've never fasted before or maybe you've become religious about fasting that you would adopt these principles. And I believe that these two things are going to help break unbelief in your life and are going to build up the sustaining faith in your life as well. I also know that there's people in the room this morning that you've done all the stuff. You've believed, you've prayed, and you haven't experienced breakthrough. I know you're walking through that tough season. This morning, I want you to know that sustaining faith isn't just the faith that brings breakthrough. Sustaining faith is the type of faith that carries you through when you're waiting on breakthrough. 
Sustaining faith is the type of faith that carries you when you're walking through that difficult season. It's the thing that is instilled in you, Jesus, I believe you save me and you're gonna still sustain me. Sustaining faith is the thing, the type of faith that we have to know, even if my situation never changes, even if I walk with this until I meet Jesus face to faith, this type of faith is the one that will carry me through. If we circle back around to the beginning in this portion of scripture where the author is telling us, hey, I want you to move beyond this place. I want you to move beyond the basic. We see that he's saying to us, I want you to have the type of faith where you can believe for more. You're maybe a seasoned believer, but you can walk into a place where you say, I'm going to keep believing. I'm not going to let unbelief stop me. I'm not going to let circumstance speak for me. But it's the type of faith that, we carry, that carries us through until we meet Jesus face to face. I don't know about you. And band, you guys can come with that. You can come. Come on up. Those awkward transitions. I don't know about you, church, but I don't want my faith to look weaker in year 19 of following Jesus. I don't want my faith to have waned because I've seen too much. No, I wanna believe God for more in this season of my life than I believed in the last season of my life. And I believe that the author of Hebrews, he's saying, I don't want you church, I don't want you people, followers of Jesus, don't keep circling back around Come on, the same faith that saved you is the same faith that's going to sustain you. And there has to be something inside of us that refuses to bow down to all the other things that want to take our attention, all the other things that want to tell us to not believe, all the other things that would cause us to, to become jaded in our faith. I don't want us to be the type of church that keeps walking around the basics. I don't know about you. I want to be the type of church that believes God for the impossible. Come on, there's some people in this room even that need breakthrough in their lives. I want to stand with them with a greater faith today than I had yesterday to say, I'm going to believe with you. I'm going to stand with you in the midst of this and know that if God can save us, he can also sustain us. Hey, thanks for taking the time to listen to the Father's House podcast. We hope it helps you wherever you're at in your journey. And listen, we wanna pray with you if you're going through something right now that's difficult. You can go to our website, tfh.church, and click on the prayer and praise link and tell us how to join you in prayer. Until next time, be blessed.